where we get to experience the blessing of, of moving down to this place. No longer in a Coles parking lot, you know, where you park and then you go into the, the church super center. But now an opportunity to literally walk by the city. And I know some of you are frustrated because you had to spend a little while parking. Let me encourage you with this. D- did you deserve a closer spot than someone else? Did, like, did all the, all the city folk that are down here hanging out, enjoying the city... Did you deserve the closer spot than they? Right? And I know like sometimes when you walk when you go into Walmart and there's that, that face-off battle in the parking lot where both people have the turning signal on, you know, and it's like, all right, who's going to make the first move? Listen, I want to encourage you with something tonight. We're down here to serve the city. That's why, that's why we're here. We're not down here to take advantage of the city. We're here to celebrate what God's doing in the city by serving it. And so part of that is enjoying the blessing, having to park a little bit of ways on nights like this, and just seeing people. I love the fact that when I walked out an hour ago and just got to talk to people and enjoy this country's music that was playing, right? Which I think is a spawn of Satan, but we'll, we'll teach on that another time. But not the band, this country music in general. But um, it was unbelievable because like, the, it was just the city. This is why we're here. Are you guys with me? So look, if, if you're frustrated about the parking, get over it, Okay. And, um, and I hope that we can continue to serve this city. Now, I want to begin tonight with a question. Have you ever felt like, and, and maybe just like this week, have you, have you just had this sense that life is really, really complicated? Like, in other words, has there ever been some moments in this week or the past week where you were literally just overwhelmed, you felt burdened, to the point where everything felt incredibly complicated? Like you were buried underneath something and you felt like you would never get out. And some of your friends may, may say something like, well, yeah, but you have the lights at the end of the tunnel. But you felt like saying, no, you don't even understand. I don't even know that I'm in a tunnel. I have no idea. Like I can't even see a light or, or, or even understand what a light might be because I, I feel like it's so complicated. Have you ever felt like this? Like life is just, there's just too much. Like I, I, I'm never going to be able to get out of this. What's so interesting to me is that as many times as we feel this sense of complication, at the end of the day, all of this is so incredibly simple. And when I say all of this, I mean like our existence. At the end of the day, our very being, everything about us, is so incredibly simple. I know sometimes you feel like um, that your life is like a movie, how many of you feel like your life would make a phenomenal reality TV show, right? How many of you? Okay. Several of you. We make a lot of money here, right? And, and I know that sometimes you feel like your life is just this one ongoing, like multiple hundred plots. Like there's all of these plots all the time working. Let me encourage you with this. For every single person post the garden until Jesus comes back, there is one plot and one story, literally. And I hope tonight can be an encouragement no matter how complicated you feel like your life is, about how simple the story is. The story goes like this. There is one problem. All of the story, all of our existences, are all wrapped up in one problem and one answer. That's the entire plot line of all of this. I know it seems like more, and I know you get so caught up in your trials and tribulations, but that's not the real problem. There is one problem and one answer. Now listen, I know sometimes 
Like we can, we can say that, and for those of you that grew up in the church, you're like, yeah, right on, I know exactly what you're about ready to say, but I don't think you do. I think it's a lot easier to forget about the answer, what the answer really is in moments like I had last night with my little girl Avery. She's four, and she's getting to the place where we can have like some adult conversation, and it's really enjoyable. And listen to this. Uh, this broke my heart. Last night, Avery... She climbs on my lap, and, and both now, Dawson and Avery, when it's bedtime, and this is unbelievable for Dawson because he never stops moving like someone I know, but he, uh, they both get on my lap when it's getting bedtime, and he brings me books, right? Like, all of a sudden, he's interested in reading. Like, I don't know where this came from. Before, it was just like break the wall, put holes in the wall. Now it's reading. I don't know how you transfer that. But Avery comes up, and she sits on my lap, and she says, Daddy, you know that bracelet that you brought back for me? Well, I knew exactly what she was talking about. When I went to Ecuador the first time, we were in this little village, and I had bought this bracelet thinking of Avery. And so I brought it back and gave it to her. And it was this bead thing. And I said, yeah, Avery, I, I remember. Listen to this. She said, she said, Daddy, today when I saw that bracelet, I was thinking about you. And like, this is not embellished at all. This is not to make a great story. Right out of the mouth of my four-year-old. And then I said, you know, I'm already like inside just weeping, you know. And, and then I, I tell her, I'm like, Avery, like, I love you. And look, like, kids, they learn how to say that. But it just felt like this time it was totally different. She looked in my eyes and she said, she looked at me. She said, Daddy, I love you too. And like it was just this, but listen, it's in moments like that for me. Though I know there's one problem and one answer. It's in moments like that for me and maybe you, like where the answer gets a little bit, because I found so much joy, listen, so much worth in that moment with my little girl. And escalate that times whatever your situation it's easy at times to get confused about what the answer really is. In that moment for me, it seems like, man, my answer could be if we could just have one of these conversations every day, my life would be unbelievable. My little girl telling me that she's thinking of me when she looks at this gift that I gave her, right? But Avery is not my answer. My wife is not the answer. This is not my answer. There's one answer. And so tonight, what I want to do as we get going, is simplify everything for you, all right? Now, I'll put up this Genesis passage. It all begins here, and not the passage that you're thinking of. After Adam and Eve sin, look at what happens at the end of Genesis 3, verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword, that sounds dangerous, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the beginning of the problem. Originated at sin and now fleshed out in God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden. He sends them away. And then ensues the problem. Once in the garden, man and God were in communion. They were together. And now God sends the man away. And now God and man are completely disconnected. Now, uh, for, for some of us, like, this is, this is an old hat. Oh, yeah, God, man, disconnected. And, like, all these diagrams are coming up in your mind, like these tracks that you've seen in the past, right? This, you know, this chasm and the valley and all these things. Listen, I don't feel like many of us understand what that means in the Old Testament. Like, I feel like we get it in our context, but the fact that God and man was separated, do you know in the Scripture, this is specifically being fleshed out over and over and over in the Old Testament. Can I just give you an example? Check this out in Exodus. Next slide. Exodus chapter 19, on the morning of the third day, 
This is as uh, Israel is uh, coming up on Mount Sinai. There were thunders, and I love the plural there, thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. No one knows where the trumpet blast came from. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. This kind of sets the drama for us, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Next slide. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. You like that? The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses. Look at this. To the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people. Okay, so so we say things like, oh, God and man are disconnected. And then you come to a passage like this, and you get how disconnected God and man really are. Go warn the people, he says. Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the what? To the Lord to look, and many of them perish. If they break through this smoke and come into my what? Into my presence, many of them will perish. Oh yeah, well I grew up, you know, and I've seen the diagrams, and God and man, this is God and man disconnected. Man can't even approach the presence of God. It gets better. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. All right? Check this out. And Moses said to the Lord, he's like repeating back, I love this, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. This is kind of one of those humorous moments in the Bible. God's like, yeah, I just said that. Like, what what are you repeating, right? Like, obviously, right? Verse 24, and the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he tells them, you can't come in here. You go get Aaron and you will be the blessed too. Everyone else stays at the base. You can't, that's disconnected. That's God and man not in communion. Are you with me? And so what begins to unfold, and put up this next slide here, what begins to unfold in the scripture is that God begins to show, beginning in the Old Testament, the answer. This is the one problem, and there's only one answer. And so to further dig in tonight, I want you guys to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Last week we began this unbelievable journey of looking at the the office of the high priest and seeing the office as one of the symbols, one of the shadows of how God would bridge this gap. And so tonight in Hebrews chapter 5, these first five verses, rich, rich stuff. When you're there, say I'm there. Here we go, verse 1. Let's read this whole uh, section here and then we'll dive in. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people, verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when, when called by God, just as Aaron was. And we saw last week, Aaron was the first high priest, verse 5. So, also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, 
Today I have begotten you. Now, every week, every single week that you come here, we're preaching the Bible. You want to know why? You want to know why we're not teaching topical things? Because every week, we need to be reminded of what the answer is. And if you want to know what the answer is, literally every word in the Scripture is pointing to the person of Christ who is the answer. Are you with me, church? And so that's the reason that we unfold the Bible like we do, so that every night... We're reminded of our problem. God is disconnected from man because of sin and we're completely enveloped in the answer. And the high priestly order helps give us indication. Let's look again at verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So, next slide. The role of the priest and the high priest is to be the the intercessor to God from man. In other words, they're the representation. The high priest, beginning with Aaron, and by my count, 82 to follow him, are, are man's representation to God. And so last week, as we began to celebrate Jesus as the great high priest, what we were seeing is that ultimately Jesus fulfills the perfect picture of the priest. But what does verse 1 say about the priest? He was chosen by God, appointed by God. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act. These are men, listen, that are put in this position by God alone. To do what? To be a symbol, a shadow of the high priest to come. Now what's really interesting for us, especially, is verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Um, the concept is this. The high priest is, what does verse 1 say? Is who? The priest in general is what? Is a man. Not the son of God, not some higher power of some kind. It's a man. And so because the priest is a man, but the priest is still appointed to make representation for man, the concept here is that is that there's some relation. When the priest represents man to God, he understands because he has the problem too. Are you with me? It's like this. If you've ever struggled, then you certainly can relate to the struggling. So if every man has the same problem, including the priest, then what the scripture is saying is they should deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, those who don't understand and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Well, this exposes a massive problem for us. Is it possible that in our impatience with the ignorant and the wayward, those who haven't claimed victory yet in the answer, but those who certainly have the same problem that you have? Is it possible in your lack of dealing with those people gently, in your lack of impatience, what you're actually doing is taking a simple message and complicating it? Is it possible in your lack of patience, why don't you understand? Why don't you get this? Why you act this way? All of a sudden thrusting some moral law on someone who struggles with the same problem that you have, yet you found the answer, 
that they walk away from that experience saying, whoa, 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 this whole thing is incredibly complicated just like my life. When people connect to the simplicity of the gospel, can't you relate to this? Look, I, I don't ever claim to be like crazy, you know, I, I'm not crazy, I, I didn't get a 36 in my ACT, let's say that, right? But I know this, I love the depth of doctrine, I love the depth of deep theological truth, but I love the simplicity of the gospel, you see? I have a problem, Jesus is the answer, that's ultimately what I need to know. And all of this other truth that keeps coming, what it's building on are those two things. I further understand my depravity, my distance from God, my sin, and I'm furthering to understand God's character made manifest in Jesus. And so what this becomes is I just keep learning of my problem and the answer. You see what I'm saying? So I fear, I fear that many of you have just completely gotten so impatient with those few folks that don't believe like you believe that literally what you're teaching them is the gospel is way more complicated. And so they pull back from that and they're like, this is just like my life. My life is a web of complication. I want nothing to do with that Jesus thing. What happens when you remember the fact that though you found the answer, you had the problem too? In fact, every single man ever born has the same problem all over the world, disconnected from God. So who is it for you? Right? That person that just really frustrates you because they, they don't act how you act and they're, they're not getting the gospel like, what if just through love and encouragement, you became the voice of simplicity in their already chaotic and complicated life? What if that happened? This, this passage, as it unfolds, it gets so much weightier as it pertains to that verse 3. Because of this, because of what? Because he's a man. Because of this, he, the priest, is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. We saw this last week. In the process, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest first has to offer a young bull for who? For him and the priests and his family. Why? Because they're men too, and they have the problem too. Isn't it unbelievable for you to think about this? The high priest in the whole Jewish system still has to offer sacrifice because the depth of his problem, though chosen by God, doesn't connect him any closer in and of itself. Are you guys with me? And so the high priest still has to give sacrifice because he's a man. Now here's what's crazy about the answer. Is when Jesus comes, he's not only the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. Has the weight of that ever just sunk in on your shoulders before? Not only was Jesus the perfect high priest, but he's also the sacrifice. Making him the approachment, the opportunity to see God face to face. Because Jesus, fulfilling this role, does both of these things. Whereas before it was a bull, and now Christ enters the throne place of, of God. And now sitting at the right hand of God as both the sacrifice and the priest. And so verse 3, these men had to still offer sacrifice because they were people. But I need you to see these last two verses, my friends, verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself. Someone say, well, this, 
this is, this is not really an honor, it seems like. But only when what? When called by God, just as who? Just as Aaron. All right, here we go. Let's have a, let's have a little chat, shall we? So Christians, they love to use this word called. In fact, they have like a, a, a card in their wallet that they pulled out. Like, you know, oh, well, I'm called to do this. Oh, yeah, well, how do you know? Just because I'm called, right? And like, that's, that's a, we are always having this, I'm called to do this and I'm called to do that. We use this word so loose. We throw it in at any given point that's convenient for us. The word called has become the most convenient Christian word, I believe, on the face of the planet. I'm called to this and I'm called to do that because no one can argue, right? I'm called to break up with you, right? Well, you know, well, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, Jesus told me I'm supposed to break up with you. Could completely be true. But many a breakup have happened by people whipping out that Jesus card and putting it on the table. Because the other, what's the other person going to say? Well, you know, I guess it's over then. Like, praise be to God. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> once, once the card is played, it's over, right? Listen, what I need you to see before we look at verse 5 is what the writer is telling these readers is that this position is called and appointed to chosen. Now this bears tremendous weight here in verse 5. Please see this. So also Christ. Okay, so four verses. We're talking about man. These priests have the same problem that every other man. They have to give sacrifice, but they're chosen by God. Verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was what? Appointed by him who said to him, Now quoting Psalm 2 verse 7, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus as God's son, what does the scripture say? Appointed, called, in the most biblical way, straight out of the voice of God to be the high priest. Are you guys with me? Now, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. Okay, Jesus, in his roles, is not just appointed, as we've seen in this text, as the priest. He's also appointed prophet. Now, some of you guys have, have heard of this, but a prophet is different than a priest, and you can see by my word art here, that a prophet represents God to man, whereas a priest represents man to God. Are we together? So Jesus, not just appointed as a priest, he's also appointed as a prophet. Next slide. He's not just a priest and he's not just a prophet. He's also appointed what? King. Well, what makes him a king? He's the son of God, sent and appointed to come down, live perfectly, but he's crowned a king. Why? Because he conquers sin and death. Are you with me? It's when he conquers sin and death. That's when the crown of glory goes on Jesus. Now, 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 look at this. All of this, agree, completely fulfilled in Jesus. The perfect priest, the perfect prophet, perfectly represents God to man. And guess what else he is? He's the perfect king, the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, and the perfect king. That's who Jesus is. Next slide. Next slide, please. This role is no longer needed by man. 
because it's perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. There's no more need for a man to represent you to God. Are we together in that? I don't represent you to God, and that's good, right? You can go straight to God. You don't have to sit on the outside of Mount Sinai. You get to go straight into God's presence because Jesus is representing you. Done. No more priests. Jesus perfectly fulfilled it. Next. There will also be no human king. No man. Though David was the Jerusalem king, the Jewish king, and kings after him, there is no more need for a king. Completely done. Jesus completely fulfills that. Now what, is, what does it leave? Huh. Now this role... The representation of God to man. It's this role that's not over. Next slide. It's this role that the church is called into. Perfectly fulfilled in Christ. And as Christ is on this earth commissioning his disciples, what is he commissioning them to do? You go tell people about me. Be my representation. In another place in scripture, you're ambassadors. You are showing people who I am. Now, how this gets manifested, next slide, is in a couple different ways. Just as Christ, as we saw in verse 5, was appointed high priest. All of us who are followers of Jesus have a general appointment. Simple. Not hard to understand. We are called to love God and love people. People all the time, well, I just don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. All of us. Like, start there. Like, if you're struggling with specific, just start in the general. I'm called to love God and love people. Why? Because I'm God's representation to man. The church is God's plan here and now. And so it begins lovingly obedient to God and revealing that love to people. Are you with me? Now the next is where things get dicey. The specific appointment. I I, I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. But listen, I know it's something. I've heard all my life, I wish the church would do that. The church should be doing this. The church should add this program. The church should make me feel better in this way. The church should build this thing. I've heard these statements all my life. The church this, the church that, and a whole lot of finger pointing. Anyone else? And it's interesting that it seems like it's always coming from Christians, and the finger is always pointing out the church, the church, the church. What happens when people finally realize they're the church? This is the church. If you want to point your finger, point your finger at yourself. It's the people that make up the church. All called generally to love God and love people and specifically to own it. Whatever it is. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do. How his body gets spread and the message of Jesus moves forward because of your general and specific appointment. Just like Christ. And what do we see in Christ? He didn't do it to exalt himself. He didn't take on this role as high priest to make himself higher. He did it to do what? To perfectly fulfill the plan of God and show people God. Here's who God is. I feel like you're scared. We lack faith 
I know I'm called to do this, and not in just the, the cheap, called version, but because my heart won't leave it. When you are seeking the Lord in prayer, my friends, and that thing just keeps being stirred on your heart, stirred on your heart, stirred on your heart, and you're reading the scripture, and then we still say, I'm not sure if I'm called to do it. What do you need? A sign on the back of an airplane? You know, we're waiting for something that's already there. What I want to encourage us tonight in is this. The church is still supposed to be alive and active. And if you're a follower of him, then you're the church. There's no need to point fingers. Let's add this. Let's do this. You be God's representative to man. You are appointed, chosen, and yes, called to fulfill a specific role. Loving him and loving his and owning what God has called you to do. And some of you tonight, listen, you've been running away from it. Running as, as far and as hard as you possibly can because you're scared. And you know what I say? We have the blessed opportunity to show this chaotic, complicated world the simple message of the truth. I had a problem I found the answer. You have a problem. The answer can be known. Let's go together. The answer's alive. It's not just written in a book. It's living and active, right? And church, I just, I just picture a whole gathering of people saying, look, I'm tired of pointing the fingers and waiting on someone else to be on mission. I'm ready to own it myself. Let's stand together. Listen, to the complicated, to the lives in here, please, to the lives in here that feel so burdened, to the lives that feel like they're buried, that's the first thing that will cause you to run from your call. You claim the answer once, claim it now. He is sufficient enough to even now in this moment simplify everything. Do you agree? To simplify everything. I was talking with a good friend this morning. And what I told him is this. Trials will come. Tribulation will come. We will struggle. But at the end of the day, the problem is already solved. And we make all of this world seem so significant in the face that we already have and know the answer. Are you with me? If we would just move forward. This trial is insignificant in the face of the answer. This thing is so small in comparison to the grace of Christ. This thing that seems so huge for me, this relationship, this money thing, this whatever it is. If we can just say together, the answer is Jesus then we'll fulfill our call as the church, showing people the power of God. Let's worship.